When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is my interview with the editor for Everything Everywhere All at Once, Paul Rogers, and Will Mavity's interview with the supervising sound editor and re-recording mixer, Brent Kaiser. Mrs. Wang, are you with us? I am paying attention. Now you may only see a pile of receipts, but I see a story. I can see where this story is going. It does not look good. No, are, are you kidding me? I saw this movie and I instantly was like, who edited this thing? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I'm very excited to be talking to you about your work here on Everything Everywhere All at Once because one could definitely say that your work on this movie was literally everything. It was everywhere and it happened all at once. Yeah, it was a it was a beast. It was I, you know, was watching it the other day and and just um I was going back through looking at deleted scenes and and remembering kind of what we went through to get to the final product. And you know, it was probably the it was definitely the most challenging thing that I've ever done in my career, but at no point was it unpleasant, you know. It was so fun, even when it was even when we were banging our heads against the wall and and just like struggling to figure things out. It was just this incredibly um, wonderful puzzle, you know? So talk to me a little bit about Daniels here. And I understand that you worked with uh, Daniel uh, Scheinhardt on um, the death of Dick Long, but had you previously like known them before that? Yeah, so I met them very early on when I moved to LA. Uh, I moved out in 2013, um, got an internship with Abso. Lutely, which is Tim and Eric's company, and uh, and then met them kind of randomly. Um, 
And the first thing I did for them was the turn down for what music video. And uh, that was, I think, the first time they had ever used an editor because they, you know, we all we all came up in film school. We're all editing our own stuff. There's NLEs on every, you know, in the computer lab at, at your college. And um, so they had always cut their own stuff. Um, and yeah, I did turn down for what I did um, shortly after that interesting ball with them. Mm -hmm. And um, a couple of small things here and there, uh, some commercials, another music video. And then, yeah, I did Death of Dick Long. But, you know, they're, these guys are my, my friends, my best friends. It, Daniel Shiner is the godfather of my son. You know, it's just that's the way that they collaborate. And that's the way that they interact with their collaborators. It's like these are all their friends. Jason Kisbardi and Kelsey Efren, who did set decorating and production designer, live literally like eight houses down the street from Daniel Shiner, Larkins, um, such a good friend of everyone. And, you know, everyone from like Matt Sanderson, the first AC to the DIT to everyone on set is just their family. Um, and that's such a great way to make a film, I think, and, and the way that more people should be making films. Yeah. Yeah. Especially uh, at this stage in your careers as well. And I'm very, very happy for all the success that you all have received, particularly with, with this film, because the response to it has just been absolutely sensational. I'm one of those people as well who is just singing the praises of this thing. And I probably will continue to do so all throughout the rest of the year. I had a blast watching this movie. And I think your work is a large reason for that. I want to know, because when I talk to editors, there are some editors who like to have their own stamp and, you know, go maybe a little bit outside the script and toy around with some things. But then sometimes the script is written in such a way where you kind of have to obey the script verbatim almost and cut to the screenplay. Yeah. I, I can almost imagine, and tell me if I'm right or wrong here, I can almost imagine the script is very detailed in how the story is cut. And Daniel's pretty much just said to you, all right, Paul, see you in a few months. Good luck. <laughs> no, not quite, but that, the <laughs> that is, is definitely true with them. I mean, they they are so not only open to surprises and mm -hmm. works, but they are so excited by them. Um, and it's just one of the those. It feels a little bit like you're sitting in your dorm room with your buddies making a, a movie or making whatever and just trying to surprise each other and make each other laugh or, you know, make each other cry with a dramatic scene and it was very much like that so I do I do actually love to I read the scripts before shooting but then once I get the dailies in I I don't consult the script until I get through my first cut of whatever the scene is okay and then I go back and you know half the time I'm going back and I'm like oh well that the scripted version makes sense I I'll rearrange that but I always keep my other version to show it to the guys because there's usually some kind of fun surprise in there, some kind of interesting, you know, thing that the actor did on set in one take that I found really powerful, you know, emotional, um, that wasn't quite scripted. And that stuff can be valuable, even if it doesn't make it into the movie, to just allow you to, to think a new, think in a new way about a scene. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of that. And there's a lot of like, I'm a big fan of getting a scene into a good place and then saying, okay, give me a day. I'm going to delete everything we've done, build it again from the ground up and see what new things are uncovered. 
So we did a lot of that, um, especially towards the end when we're like, okay, everything's working. This is our last chance. Like, let's see what else we can pull out of this. Uh, and we would just recut a bunch of stuff just to see if one little gem, one little reaction, one little small cut would, you know, rise to the top and allow us to kind of open up a scene in a new way. Yeah. Yeah. What is more difficult, cutting to action, comedy, or drama? <laughs> it's, uh, I think, oh gosh, they're all great and difficult in different ways. Um, comedy is great and very hard, but the great thing about comedy is when you play it for someone, you know immediately if it worked. Mm-hmm. If people laugh, it worked. That was one of the things I learned on the Eric Andre show was we were just constantly pulling each other in to the room and doing screenings for everyone and if something's not working you know immediately you feel it in the room uh drama is tough you know because you don't know if it worked until when it's until after it's finished and then you're asking questions if it really works you know you can look over and see some tears coming down i can i can confirm by the way (laughs) third act i'm a mess i've seen this movie twice both times it's ruined me (laughs) yeah that's great that's i mean i i also even in our rough cut screenings i was getting emotional um but action is just this is my first real big action thing that i've cut and uh action movie that i've cut and i found that just really fun you know it did it wasn't as i guess challenging because you're not like searching for motivations and dealing with a lot of nuance um, emotionally, but it's uh, definitely technically challenging, making everything feel weighted and, and good. And, you know, I've, I grew up on, um, you know, fist Jet Li's fist of legend and all the Jackie Chan movies. So I felt like a big responsibility to to not fuck it up with these action scenes. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Movie is pushing uh, two hours, 20 minutes long, and it's mm-hmm. divided into these sections here. I would like to hear your thoughts on pacing because I've seen rapidly cut films, whether they're comedies or big blockbusters, and sometimes they do tire out their audiences because they have such a chaotic pace that by the time you get to the third act you're just utterly spent and so i'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about just being consciously aware of that in the editing room oh are we tiring out our audience at this point and not so much even because of length but just because of how much adrenaline is pumping through our bodies how much we are engaged with the story when do we need to find those beats to slow down etc etc yeah that was a constant topic of discussion uh amongst me and dan and daniel uh our first cut i think was closer to three hours it was maybe 245 Mm -hmm. 250 um and it was exhausting i mean it was still wonderful i think (laughs) (laughs) but we definitely came out of those screenings ourselves exhausted the people that we would screen because we would just to so you know when i say screenings we would every um two weeks and this is actually something that was uh some it came from matt hannum who cut swiss army man mm-hmm. he instituted this thing on swiss army man where once you get a cut every two weeks you screen that cut no matter where you're at for a handful of people three four people five people whatever just to allow you to start to to stay in, in touch with the reactions that you're getting um so we we instituted that for this film and it was really valuable so we would do these screenings 
Um, and yeah, I mean, I think it's a, a lot of it was just intuitive of as we're watching, at what point are we um, overwhelmed to the point of feeling frustrated versus overwhelmed in a, in a fun way. <laughs> this is overwhelming by design. Uh, it's designed to overload your brain the way that Evelyn's brain is getting overloaded. So at a certain point, what we want is for the viewer to let go of trying to figure everything out, of trying to hang on too tightly. And so once we figured out where those moments were in the film, where people were feeling overwhelmed in a negative way, we were able to build in breaks or add a line of ADR that would, you know, explain something that maybe was frustrating the viewer that they couldn't figure out. So we put these little kind of signposts in every once in a while that just were like, we got you, just keep keep going with us. And we're, we're taking you to, to a, a, you know, you're on solid ground. Yeah. And, you know, like the rock universe obviously is a big breath of fresh air after everything that you've been through. Yeah. <laughs> so we thought we really worked hard to make sure that that came, it was always scripted to come where it comes, but we, we worked really hard to make sure we could, we cut down the stuff before it so that it would land at a minute that felt right. Mm -hmm. so already two hours and 10 minutes into the movie. And then you get your first big breath, you know? Um, so yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. Oh no, it totally does. Absolutely. And I'm always amazed just hearing about the thought process that goes into, you know, when does one start to, lose concentration focus when does one start to get tired or as you said frustrated and then how does one then go about patching up that uh that edit so that this way uh you can point them in the direction you need them to go in emotionally so that the movie just kind of comes together in this third act and i think that one of the reasons that this movie does work so incredibly well is that the second half of this movie and i i could be wrong about this but to my mind once we get to the everywhere section of the movie that to me feels like one giant rising climax that is nothing but cross-cutting the entire time. And I, I was blown away because it, it, the first time I saw it, I, I almost didn't realize it. And then the second time I saw it, I was like, wow, no, there are multiple universes. We are cross-cutting between them all. And this is just crescendoing into what I think is one of the most stunning edits of the year where it cuts to Evelyn and her daughter then in the current timeline in the parking lot and everything just, as you said, kind of like cutting to the rock sequence, everything cuts out for a moment. We have like a breather only at that point we're crying. <laughs> so talk to me a little bit about like just finding the rhythm of all, all of that cross cutting in that section of the movie, because once again, I'm also amazed at how slow motion is also incorporated in that as well. Yeah. The, so one thing is that the Daniels shot uh, the majority of the film uh, at a high frame rate so that if we needed to, we could jump into slow motion for most scenes at some mm -hmm. point, which I, you know, I, I wonder, I'm sure that kind of harkens back to the, to the music video days um, where you just want to kind of have that freedom in the edit. Uh, as far as finding the pace for that. Yeah, you're right. It is. It's a crescendo that, um, never, it just keeps going and going and going. Um, and there were, you know, I, I think I've, I've heard a lot of reviews and I think that there's the merit to this, that 
there's a lot of endings to this film and there are a lot of endings to this film. Obviously there's the big fake out ending of the credits rolling, um, <laughs> but there were even more, you know, when she's making her way up the staircase, there used to be scenes where we revisited a, a bunch of other characters that you'd seen earlier in the film as she's making her way up to Joku. Uh, so there was a lot of discussion, similarly to our last question, there was a lot of discussion about at what point as a viewer, are we just getting frustrated that she's not getting to joy? Because that's what we're all building towards is we're building towards this conf confrontation, which as a viewer, we think is going to be a big fight scene, right? Mm -hmm. That's building up to there's going to be this incredible fight between Evelyn and Joy or Jobu uh but that really is the, the parking lot that's the big end big boss fight is them and you know in a, in a lot of ways I think that's what's so beautiful about this film and about the script is that talking to your daughter is a lot harder than fighting her <laughs> kung fu fighting her yeah. um and it's true, you know, I think that uh, the emotional journey and the emotional kind of catharsis wouldn't have come with a big fight scene at the end, you know? Yeah. Uh, or some kind of gotcha, whatever that, that Evelyn says to Jobu to prove her wrong. It's this kind of messy ending emotionally. You're, you, not everything's worked out, but you get the feeling that they're trying at least. I'm kind of diverted from your question about the pace. No, no, no. You're good. You're good. I know we're short on time here, so I'll ask you an easy one to just end it here. There's a section in the movie where Evelyn is staring directly into the camera. Too many timelines to count. Rapid fire cutting. She stays centered in, in, in the middle of the frame the entire time. How long did that take to put together? Because... I can't even imagine how many camera setups it was. It was just going through my brain so quick, but I, I want to know how long did that take for you to put together? Well, that that's an interesting one. Actually, I've, I've always called that one the Dan Kwan special because really what we would do a lot of is just pass stuff back and forth between us and, and throw ideas down. Um, they're both like incredible filmmakers in all, in all aspects. So they, they're great editors. And I remember Dan Kwan kind of sketching that out or, or, or uh, edit, editing that first cut of that. And it didn't change much because basically what we did was there's just a bunch of Evelyn's on a green screen <laughs> and we were just finding different backgrounds first on Google images and stock sites. Um, and I think it's like one frame a second for a couple, for a minute or two, but yeah, I think totally, you know, that's a harder, harder question for me to answer because it was a, such a mish. It was like Dan Kwan doing a cut and then me building on it and then it coming back. And, um, but I, I think it was like a probably a week long process. Um, but there are certain aspects of the film, like that stuff isn't, I've always felt like that stuff isn't as hard, you know, like, well, now that you just described it as the green screen, I'm like, well, that does make sense now that that wouldn't be so hard anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's a combination of green screen and also practical. Like whenever they would shoot in a location, they would pop off and, and shoot a shot of Evelyn in that position. So if they're in the hot dog universe in the, in the living room, they would do it in their, the kitchen or wherever, you know, if they're at the IRS building in a certain room, they would just knock one of those out because they knew they were going to need them. But I also feel like it's those kind of like, just pure style things like that is was easy to do 
I, for me, those kind of things are easy to do compared to cutting the parking lot scene, you know, where you're, you're really like dealing with the nuance of the emotional beats in this relationship. So as, as like incredible as that stuff is, like, I love that part of the movie, but like, I love Wayman's speech or the mm-hmm. parking lot or when, when Stephanie Hsu is Joy is crying and she's describing when that tear rolls down her cheek as she's describing the introducing the bagel, you know? Absolutely. Well, I, I love hearing the explanation behind it. I want to congratulate you once again on an amazing job on this movie. It plays so incredibly well, and I cannot wait for more people to see it when it opens wide on April 8th. Paul, I also can't wait to see where your career goes from here because I really do think this is next level work. So congratulations once again. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Absolutely. And thank you. Yeah, thank you. All right, take care. Wow, that was really good. He's waiting in the wings. The universe. He speaks of senseless things. Is so much bigger. You than you realize. Of all the places I could be, I just want to be here with you. Remember our mission concerning the fate of every single world of our infinite multiverse. There is no way I am the Evelyn you are looking for. Every rejection, every disappointment has led you here to this moment. Don't let anything distract you from it. One of the scenes that really intrigued me early on was this way you guys do the opening scene where we first meet Evelyn in her apartment and then it goes into the laundromat and it's just executed with the sound to make it insanely stressful. You know, you keep hearing like this buzzing and everyone's trying to talk to her and it's just so overwhelming. I would love to hear how you basically compress the entirety of Uncut Gems and all its anxiety into like one scene. Yeah, well, I mean... First, shout out to the Sun Lux guys because their constant rhythmic going underneath it was the great bed for it all. And we just kind of went music concrete with it in the way of like, how do we grab these enhanced? You know, you're going through the laundromat, you're feeling the buzzer stop, you know, you're feeling these things. There's a great moment where she's yelling for Wayman uh, where stuff is at. She hits on the thing. He yells down you know, you're just able to make this movement really work. And, you know, the great thing about Daniels are they think rhythmically when they edit. So Mm -hmm. Paul Rogers, Daniel Kwan really worked hard on finding that pacing um, and made it pretty easy for us to come in and have a grid already in system that we were able to kind of like drop in extra sounds and things like you know, making sure we hear the cart as it goes by and we hear the buzz as we pass by and how do we feel these moments come around to kind of establish the everything moment by bringing everything through. We're hearing everything. We're hearing the stuff, uh, which is a great location because it's the laundromat. There's so much noise and it's so busy and it's great foreshadowing 
uh, to the bagel later with the cyclical moments and all of these things. So we were able to establish, I mean, it's kind of like our, not opus, what do they say when it's the first thing in musical? I don't remember. I was trying to sound smart. It's uh, <laughs> all good. Um, I'll think of it in a bit and then like an hour later and call you back. Um, <laughs> that was the fun part. Yeah, that was the really great thing, establishing the characters, establishing the anxiety of what we were getting into through a lot of the movement. Well, so uh, you've mentioned, obviously, a laundromat's incredibly noisy. Uh, what were you able to get or what were you given in terms of production audio? from uh, a location like that that's naturally so overwhelmingly loud oh steve was great our um location sound guy he, he i mean it was blank he did great mm. at recording nothing except for the dialogue on that mm. you know they really were able to um pull that in uh shout out to my foley team uh john stevert and his team up in toronto they did great with help filling it all in with all of the production and, and whatnot. Um, and then there was great little moments of heightening, you know, when she bring or Evelyn brings over the little step stool to go up, you know, just hit sit and slide over was nice because also, like I said before, foreshadowing that she's going to have some kind of coordination and skills um, going. So a lot of that we added in later. Mm -hmm. So the production gave us a really nice, clean dialogue so we could add in and didn't have to wrestle with getting out noises, getting out the room and all of that. That's uh, <laughs> that's very fortunate. Yeah, I cannot imagine having to work with just a noisy laundromat track. OK, so one of the other moments I love in the film is when what's the name for Jane's character who exists like the evil Jane? Not Jane. Um, her daughter. What's the the character? Oh, Joy. Joy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jobu. Uh, Jobu Japaki. Jobu Japaki. So when Jobu Japaki first Tupaki. appears, Jobu Tupaki. Jobu Tupaki. So when Jobu or as Tupaki, Evelyn said at one point, you know, Jobu Chupaka. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, when Jobu Tupaki appears in all of her glory in that hallway. Oh, that you know, was the she... first scene that Paul Rogers edited. Oh, really? He started there. You know, his whole thought process was, let's go to the hardest scene, find everything else. Or as he said, the most, the scene that excited him the most. So, well, anyways, I cut you off. Were you going to ask something more pointed than just tell me about it? I, I was, yeah. No, because the sound effects you give her are simultaneously like scary and intimidating, but also just ridiculous. Uh, yeah. You know, there's like, it's almost like seeing like a Looney Tunes character, but then she's just brutally murdering people as she goes. Tell right. me a little bit about creating kind of her sonic identity in that scene. Well, you know, so that was great you know, because I, Paul Rogers, the picture editor and Daniels all live around here in Highland Park. Uh, Parallax Post and Unbridled Sound were on the same floor. So I was able to help out a lot during the edit. And so I was able to know a lot what was going on. Um, and what Parallax Post is really on top of is they do this thing called swarm editing to where it's just, they give it to everybody in on their floor, you know, all the assistant editors, all the people and say, here, do something crazy. And we just bring the best ideas into it. 
So we were initially told about this. This is when the universes are starting to like break. This is the first time we're starting to feel the other multiverses colliding. I think a big thing about, you know, it's not about establishing what these different verses sound like, but how do the different verses bleed in? Mm. And so, you know, at first you, you hear some radio dial stuff. That's the song comes in when she's walking out with the pig on the elevator and it feels like the music's just playing over the overhead sound system. And then it's like, kind of goes through. Um, I had made these really great radio buys. So like, mm -hmm. you know, tuning through the things, but making like whooshes out of them. So it, it became a way that to feel like the other universes are breaking in, but in a way that felt familiar. And then when things just start getting crazy, we go into the um, kind of the Latin music and all of these fun things. And, you know, the other established sound is as they were coming through and, and Jobu would just go and it would like pop, you know, and pop in this. And now we're able to see Jobu just, she doesn't have to do anything weird. She doesn't have to burst jump. She's just able to go into it. So how do we smoothly effortless for her? And the fun thing was, is if it's effortless, you don't have to explain it. So yeah, do something weird. Let's jump from here to there. And, you know, Daniel Shiner, Daniel Kwan are so amazing at just, yeah, try something. And so one of the weird things that Andrew Twight, uh, my right-hand man sound designer on this was putting in like pinball sounds on the roof and like all of these things. And then since we mix it in Atmos, it just feels so rad, just pinballs up on the top. And then there's some really weird, inappropriate fight scene that happens that has you know, dildos, these huge dildos. And we want it to make them fun, but not like gratuitous or vulgar in a way so like the fight scene becomes like kind of elegant and slow-mo right. so and then giving the nice little like saw wobble at the end just, it's just it's just so absurd and i just think like man, this is one of the biggest movies i've been on what is my mom gonna say <laughs> yeah when she sees the dildos yeah <laughs> yeah 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 Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because 
The news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. So what was the most just bizarre item that you and your team used to create a sound effect in that scene? Cat food. Cat food. Unpack that. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, We just ate a lot of cat food. We got really high (laughs) on cat food. And that's how all this works. No. um, So it was it was Kwan's idea. And it's for when the hot dog fingers first appear. And mm. Evelyn, you know, she thinks about it. She pees herself and then she burst jumps. They're like, don't do it. And then her hands just drop. So when we did it, they were like, oh, you know, get weird. Give us an idea. So we did a lot of like leather sounds, stuff like this, like, you know, to get like a lot of that stuff. And the problem that we ran into it just it didn't have that same feeling and so it might i know it was kwan it might have been paul rogers too had been experimenting with this cat food sounds and so it just it added the squish and the silliness make it work because it was like you needed that emotion of just squish <laughs> squish squish you know um so adding in the practical to give it and swish like later in the hot dog universe you really hear like our leather straps our hands hit and things like that but to give it that initial just like oh her hands went limp oh they're hot dog hands so it was more about the feeling of it than it was the actual sound and it was great so there's uh you know obviously there's a million fight scenes in this film and you can't have repetitive <laughs> sounds so um, exactly tell me a little bit about building the very extensive punch slap kick and whoosh sound library that you used in this film i know i love describing this film as everybody's like what's the film about i'm like it's about a middle-aged asian woman trying to get her taxes done but there's about 45 minutes worth of fight scenes and a multiverse (laughs) and everybody's like you're joking i'm like no i was like wait till you find out about the butt plugs but hey um (laughs) so the fight scenes were great because we got a lot of inspiration from different areas you know we didn't want the fight scenes to feel the exact same they were very you know from different worlds different feels you open up with uh the fanny pack scene and the great thing too is uh andrew twite was so excited about the fanny pack scenes mainly because his wife is obsessed with fanny packs. I'm like, like, kid you not, probably has like 30 fanny packs or something crazy. So he's like, I'm going to record all of these fanny packs. Oh my God. And when he was like, I'm going to record all these fanny packs, I was like, all right, cool. Maybe we should do, you know, something a little bit more, you know, sound designy. And this, he's like, no, 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 I got this. <laughs> and so we pulled a lot of inspirations from like Kung Fu Hustle and stuff like that because the music feels very kung fu hustle which once again the sunlux guys are just amazing and you know so this one was all more about like the whip sounds the uh hand fights or whip sounds and the hits and it kind of feels very practical i mean they got a couple big ones but then it's when he finally sits in his power when he sits down reaches in the aquarium pulls out the rocks and put it in that's when it becomes like 
Yeah, this is full-blown action film, slow motion coming around. So it's a big, and then the whooshes just become more like low end and serious. And then all the twirls and then the nose plug and then boom. And it's just so satisfying versus, you know, more towards like the uh, shield hit fight and the, um, what is it, the opera singer fight where she's coming out of the closet you know, that was a lot more like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Grandmaster, kind of like One Car Y and those sort of things in the way of, you know, it's more about the subtle whooshes, the poetry of it, um, and how do we kind of make it more of a dance and really play up the orchestral stuff, which is where, um, you know, Chinese opera is where a lot of the Kung Fu stuff came from. Mm-hmm. And then you get towards the end and we have a lot more of that stuff where the, during the butt plug fight, there's a lot of like poetic whooshes and stuff like that when, you know, and they actually have the good vocalizations that are more just like Kung Fu, like, you know, and it was just really great. What else? Oh, and then like when she does the pinky Kung Fu, you know, it's that. And we just add in so much like badass low end just to make it feel like, these pinkies are the most badass things ever. So that first hit, it's like, ooh, man, it's like you feel that bass. And then when it goes to the last little pinky flick, it's just so little and it feels great. So I was talking to uh, one of the sound designers for the new Matrix and he was telling me that for their fight scenes, they actually brought in some dudes. Did you talk to Dane? I did, yes. Um, Dude, I came up in Dane's school. Me oh, and did you? used to both work for Dane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's why. Okay, so he was telling me for the Matrix movies, they brought in a bunch of dudes whose job it is basically is just to take hits and they just like circle them up with my mics and they just like beat the crap out of each other repeatedly uh, yeah. to get those sound effects. Did you guys do anything like that for the actual impacts? I've never had the budget that Dane has had. So <laughs> I have not been able to hire anybody to beat on them um no shade just jealous but the vocalizations really came from the fight team the stunt team these guys are amazing you know their studying and understanding of all of this stuff was next level so a lot of that is them and then we brought them in later to do all of their vocalizations because they would be like i need this here I need this here. This is how this one's supposed to play. This is how this is supposed to play. And you're just like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it does. Yeah, of course. I was thinking the same thing. Great. Um, and so they really were able to bring it to life. All right. So, uh, you know, you mentioned the the bagel earlier. And obviously that's, oh, yeah. uh, that's a really unique, almost character in the film itself. Yeah. So talk to me about designing. Everything this- on a bagel. Oh, sorry, I interrupt you again. I'm sorry. That's no, good. Uh, yeah, I mean, but it's, I assume you're going to tell me you weaved a million different sounds in there to make it literally sound like it's everything. Oh, yeah. I mean, we did that. And then Dan Kwan was just like, this is too much. And mm. we're like, no, but it's everything. And he's like. <laughs> <laughs> and so what we ended up finding was bringing it back to the cyclical nature of these things, making it feel more ominous and things like that. Cause when you have everything and then you hit some of these tunnels to where you like go into it, and it's got things passing by, you're seeing toilets, you're hearing things come by screams, you know, all of the emotions. 
but it was this big omnipresent just <laughs> so taking like laundry cyclical stuff and Dan Kwan had found the sound that he really loved we had no clue where it came from so Andrew Twight recreated it and added a little bit more ump using you know anything kind of pulsy he could find uh and we were able to really like bring it to life no it worked well i mean it's very ominous okay so you keep mentioning the score from psalm lux and i was curious about your collaboration with them because there's some tracks in the film where it sounds like they've sampled dialogue and made a score out of that almost where there's yeah yeah. so tell me about that a little bit well they're incredible people you know with Ryan, Rafiq, Ian, you know, A, they're just the nicest people ever. It was great. They were brought on way early project. They were asked to be on it. They actually gave a lot of their music to Paul and Daniels to edit with. And so they were always around. And so one of my favorite moments to where they sampled dialogue and moved it around was um, the I love you moment. Mm -hmm. So as you know, Jamie Lee Curtis or Deirdre is flying through and Evelyn needs to tell her, I love you. So she can first jump to where she needs to, you know, it's, I love you. I love you. I love you. I'm not going to try to sing too great because I'm not a great singer. And sampling that and make that work was, you know, really great. They would give us a couple versions. I was, um, so I sat dialogue and music mix side along next to out and, uh, Alexandra Furman mm-hmm. um she set effects for me which she's amazing uh you know she just makes Coda mm-hmm. one for best picture Oscar and she also does the boys um oh, so yeah. she was amazing to mix with so they would give me their stems Sunlux would give me their stems and we'd really pull it apart and be able to do that fun stuff and and even at one part because Paul was giving them sounds and then we'd give them cleaned up sounds and they'd go into the other room and come out and make something magic. Um, but one of my favorite things that they did was Jobu coming out towards the end in the big foyer of the IRS building. Um, she has her K-pop look. And so mm-hmm. every time she would say something, there'd be like this weird K-pop like chorus delay thing happening around. Um, and they, those guys came up with that stuff, which was amazing that was like a hell mary like maybe seventh day of mix being like yo this would be cool and <laughs> i'm like messing around being like all right cool this is what i can do and my, i think it was rafiq was like i got you and like went into the other room came back and we're like yes <laughs> some one of the other things i thought was really impressive was how you're juggling often you know a, a single shot that has concurrent timelines going on and bits of the audio are leaking in. I mean, one of the most obvious examples is the first time uh, Evelyn, you know, experiences this kind of like dissociation and she's talking in the broom closet while also part of her is out there in theory, listening to Jamie Lee Curtis and you get a little bit of both going on. Tell me about some of the scenes like that. So, yeah. So establishing, you know, that's where it really happened. Um, there's a lot of like glass breaking because it's kind of like through the looking glass. We mm-hmm. want to fill these differences. So when she's being ripped apart from side to side, there was initial kind of like 
particle sounds, but we really took the glass and really made that movement. So all the movement in there is very like glass particle fill through. So you're feeling like you're getting torn between like realities breaking, but also reassembling and then having, you know, her being in two places once having Deirdre's character still lecturing over in the corner Mm -hmm. or having Wayman still talking and the thing that Daniels do brilliantly is then all of a sudden Deirdre pops up in that reality and it Mm -hmm. jumps them back so establishing just having that small voice almost like we said before radio voice kind of radioing in through the other verse Um, we do that later when Evelyn's kind of like giving up and she's just like I'm just going to do it my way. It's during the uh, Chinese New Year scene. She's talking to Deirdre on the phone. And then you kind of hear Deirdre's voice get thrown from the back to the front through the tunnels of that. And so we were just thinking, what would, I mean, it's almost like ham radio, you know, ham radio. I could talk to Japan mm-hmm. with it easier than I could talk to somebody in Burbank. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, how do we make it feel far in a language that people already know right all right and then last question uh i love hearing stuff like the cat food are there any other just particularly bizarre sources you guys use for sound effects oh man i mean this was all a like flash i mean we had seven weeks of editorial and it was just go (laughs) so it was a lot um you know we had a lot of help with uh jacob Black, we call him Young Thor. He looks like a young Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> um, and Casey Riley also helped out a lot. But I'm trying to think of one of them. I mean, cat food's the weird one. You know, oh, the other hard one was the user interface. Mm. That's what we ended up because it was like, how do we make things feel old? And I ended up hitting a buddy up of mine that I've known from second grade. Oh, wow. Uh, Reese Richardson. He's actually in the band Electric Guest. Mm-hmm. And he's always had little tiny weird toys and synthesizers and all this stuff. And I was like, yo, dude, you want to make some really weird Windows 95 sounds? <laughs> and he's like, yeah. And so, I mean, he made us 300 sounds of little just like beeps and bleeps and like melodies and all of this stuff. And one of my favorites that he did, which gets a lot of shine, is when Evelyn is in the elevator for the first time and it's all happening and it goes, Mm. and it's just like that stupid little like sound but every time we get there i'm just like this is so satisfying (laughs) (laughs) so it's like the dumb nerd stuff that i find amazing that i'm like hitting people next to me like yo did you hear that they're like yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh man well dude this work is incredible i can't wait to see the movie again i can't wait for everybody else to see it you get to see it in imax no, I didn't. No, I, I just saw it at a regular press screening in Beverly Hills. Um, I would love to hear that on an IMAX sound system. Oh, yeah. Dude, is it still available Burbank. there? AMC Burbank. They've got that one. They've still got it rocking pretty good. And then Alamo gets it April 8th. So, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So that'd be your good one to go have some bourbon and, you know, <laughs> some good food and watch it down. But yeah, that's rad. Dude, it's awesome. And I... uh you know, I, I, it's coming out early, but I, uh, I hope this film stays in the conversation all year round for like editing and sound and score Amen. for awards. Cause it's just so it just, 
impeccably crafted. I feel like when I saw Mad Max Fury Road, it's one of those movies, you know? Right. Well, and the thing I love about Daniel's films, like Swiss Army Man and stuff like that, is you're watching it and you're literally saying to yourself, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. And then you go, but why am I crying? Yeah. Like, what is going Dude, on? Dude, the ending really got me on this one. Oh my God. Just the emotional through line. And this, the genius of being able to take the most ridiculous things that we all know and are so accessible and asking huge philosophical questions, yeah. you know? And that's, yeah, I'm truly blessed to be a part of that crew. So I've got one more question. Um, did mm-hmm. you guys, there's a couple explicit riffs on existing movies, uh, like 2001 A Space Odyssey and you got your fair share <laughs> of Wong Kar Wai. Did you guys try to like basically completely recreate how that would have sounded with little additions? Oh yeah. Well, I can't remember the name of the YouTube video. Um, Jason Kidsvarde on the art department basically suggested, Hey, you need to use this. And it's the 2001 space odyssey, but it's like some kid playing it, just (laughs) butchering it. And I don't think we could have got the rights to it. So Dan Kwan, he's like, I used to play trumpet. And so (laughs) he gets in there and he just plays it so bad. So that was the amazing part of it. It was like, oh, hot dog hands are going to live in this space. Then it needs to be different and bad. And so that was one of the great things on that scene. Well, you know what a really good recreation scene was that I don't think a lot of people are going to pick up right off the bat unless they're like really like oh i have the criterion channel you know (laughs) app and all this stuff is the rain scene with wayman in the um hong kong streets you know that's one car why in the movie for love yeah oh yeah and the red inside the theater too yeah and just the big rain coming through and that was one of my favorites uh another big homage is towards the end where you see evelyn and jobu fighting and she puts her head next to the train and you hear the train little stutters and all that mm-hmm. stuff. That's Grandmaster. That's oh, like the big man. finale and Grandmaster for Wong Kar Wai. So it was pretty amazing. Which also shout out to Ki Kwan because he's on set with them and he's like using all of his experiences. And the only people he really worked with before this was Spielberg or Wong Kar Wai. And so he'd always be like, well, you know, Spielberg did like, <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Oh, dude, that's awesome. Well, this thing's fantastic, man. And thank you for helping bring us this just amazing experience. You know, it's pure cinema, as pretentious as that sounds. So, I mean, hey, well, last big thing is Daniels are able to do something that I've never experienced in this business. Yeah. And they really, really, um, Becky actually said this. um, Forgive me, I don't remember her in real life name. But she said it best with they're able to make you feel like you're just shooting movies in your backyard. Mm, Like they just create this environment of like summer camp and these things. So it's just, I don't know. I should retire until they make another movie because it just, it just felt so right making it. And I'm just so happy that everybody else is able to see that come out through the work. That's a great quote to end on, man. So Thank you so much, and uh, go enjoy the rest of your night. Hopefully, you can finish that beer. Yeah, I'm going to go home. Uh, Mama's making uh, chicken thighs and sweet potatoes, so I'm going to have my southern meal. 
Mm, so. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm jealous. Now you're making me think I need to reconsider my entire evening plans. Yeah. All right, man. <laughs> All right. Well, it was great meeting you, and thank you sure. again for you know letting me speak. Oh yeah, of course. All right, man. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to my interview with the editor for Everything Everywhere All at Once, Paul Rogers, and Will Mavity's interview with the supervising sound editor and re-recording mixer, Brent Kaiser, here on the Next Best Picture podcast. Everything Everywhere All at Once will be released wide in theaters on April 8th from A24. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and we are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. You can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. Watch them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death Ready. of a Film Star. Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs.